Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy, and this is our exciting uh, holiday episode. Happy holidays, Matt, Jen. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Did you guys do anything exciting this week or anything exciting planned for the week? All I can say is, Andy, happy Hanukkah. It's come early for you this year because you've been a very, very good boy. Hanukkah Harry has brought you lots of presents this year. And we're going to talk about all those in a second. I think I think all the good Jews and Christians and Muslims throughout the world were were gifted quite generously this week. And we're going to we're going to run through that. So, yes, thank you for bringing that up. We're also very excited that today's guest is uh, Cheryl Hines. And that's going to be a really fun conversation. So stick with us. So busy week. Crazy busy week. Lots happening this week. Last night, J6 report, January 6th committee report released 18 months, 100 subpoenas, 1,200 interviews, collection of hundreds of thousands of documents. This is an 800 page scathing indicting indictment of Donald Trump and his henchmen in their efforts to steal the election and overthrow the government. Crazy, crazy stuff. The difference between this report and the Mueller report is that this one is so clear. It is like eight methodical chapters. It's like a movie. It's, it reads like a movie. And the other advantage of this report is we don't have Attorney General Barr to make a synopsis of it and uh, keep us from knowing what it actually says. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly, when you bring up the, the, uh, the Justice Department and, and the Attorney General, unlike with the Mueller report, we know that the Department of Justice is already knee deep in a grand jury investigation into this. And so what this is going to do is not necessarily change the course of that investigation, but it just gives them more information, more evidence and perhaps enhances the work they're already doing. And so the funny part to me was like each chapter, the the titles of the chapters, I don't know if you've gone through these things, but like the first one is called The Big Lie. The next one is called I Just Want to Find (laughs) 11,780 Votes. I mean, they literally named the chapters after like all these horrifying Trump attempts at at, uh, insurrection and uh, overthrowing the government. But one thing that's really interesting that's come out of this is that uh, the report really strongly recommends to Congress that they implement the 14th Amendment, which is to ban anyone from running for office if they've been engaged in an insurrection. That, you know, they quote from the report says the central cause of January 6th was one man, former President Donald Trump, who many others followed. None of the events of January 6th would have happened without him. And so we've, we've known for weeks now that and we've heard about the infighting between like one camp versus the other where like Cheney wanted to structure this report so that it really is focused almost entirely on Trump. And it, and it seems like that's what this is in large part. But it also talks about, you know, Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, who was the flunky uh, Justice Department guy that Trump wanted to put in as attorney general, acting attorney general, Kenneth Cheeseborough who uh, is part of the uh, fake elector scheme. These are all potential co-conspirators as named in this report. So it does go beyond the scope of Trump himself, but it really is just a fascinating thing in terms of like some of the the new stuff we're learning, like Cassidy Hutchinson, former White House aide. We learned through uh, transcripts that uh, there was a lawyer that was given to her when all this shit started going down, this guy named Stefan Pasatino. And so he's just like a, a Trump flunky. And her lawyer is trying to convince her 
to not testify or to uh, alter her testimony. Uh, and he said to her, we just want to focus on protecting the president. We all know you're loyal. Let's just get you in and out. And this day will be easy. I promise. The less you remember, the better. This is her attorney that was telling her this. So the conspiracy is so vast and so shameless from top to bottom to from left to right, just sideways, up, down. It, it is unbelievable. But it is so clear. And but, you know, the, the, as everybody keeps saying, those who hate Trump will love this report. Those who love Trump will hate this report. But the key takeaway is the Justice Department doesn't give a fuck about any of that. Right. They don't care. They're doing their thing and he's going to get indicted. I have no doubt. And when he gets indicted, his crowd, his base, the MAGAs, they're going to be really upset. And you know what? Who gives a shit? So there's a part of this whole J6 committee report, you know, the politicalization of it. You know, Trump said on Truth Social last night, you know, it's just highly partisan. But who cares? Pay, we, we pay no attention to this noise and let the Justice Department uh, do what they've got to do. I don't know. What did you guys make of all this overnight? I really appreciate what you're saying because, you know, watching watching it on TV, you, you know, they alluded to the fact that she, that Cassidy Hutchinson was being um, bullied. But this time you actually find out why. And I do appreciate that, um, that it is very detailed. Um, it, it, it makes it more difficult to, to view it as partisan when you have direct quotes and uh, and and they brought out so many people who are Republicans. So I I I I'm very very happy and hopeful. Yeah, I've been skimming the report, and it is huge. It's going to take weeks for me to get through this at 845 pages. And I liked that they did seven chapters on the conspiracy, and then the eighth chapter is on the uh, events of January sixth. And basically, it spells out an incomprehensible amount of conspiracy on the yeah. president's part. Um, and the yeah. end notes, I want everyone to look at the end notes, because those are really incredible. It's, it's so detailed that it's, mm -hmm. it's overwhelming. Yeah. And you'll probably be able to get through the report much quicker if you just stop reading all those romance novels. Maybe, because <laughs> they're, they're, those are just a waste of time. They're really a waste of time. Uh, by the way, I forgot to say this at the beginning. You may notice a difference in our sound today. It's because it's the holidays. I'm away. And, you know, we're doing this remote. So uh, we don't have that amazing equipment we have every week. <laughs> uh, I'm just doing this like every schmuck over Zoom. So, you know, but, you know, it's the content that counts, folks. Right. The content. Cassidy Hutchinson also in her testimony, we, we reread again that she said of Mark Meadows, chief of what former White House chief of staff, uh, he's he she says he said something to the effect of he knows it's over. He knows he lost, but we are going to keep trying. And this is the biggest takeaway of anything this January 6th report is going to show, because intent is absolutely critical to uh, uh, to indictment and hopefully conviction, because. Uh, he has to be the evidence has to be there overwhelmingly without a without a, a shred of doubt that he knew he lost and that he was plowing forward with the lies anyway and and uh, all connected to J6. So this stuff is just so key. And, you know, earlier in the week, the committee put forth its criminal referrals to the Justice Department for major federal crimes that they say Trump committed. 
and others like John Eastman, his one of his lawyers. Uh, one, number one, obstruction of official proceeding. Number two, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Three, conspiracy to make a false statement. Four, insurrection. I mean, just you think about it, how mind blowing this is that a former president has been the subject of a criminal referral from a bipartisan congressional committee for insurrection. I mean, I remember as a kid watching the Manchurian Candidate and thinking like, whoa, this could never happen, but it's a great movie. But like that movie sucks compared to the real life version, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. Truly unbelievable. You didn't realize the Um, real movie to watch was Idiocracy. Yeah. The the committee also referred to the Justice Department, uh, Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, Andy Biggs from Arizona, and Pennsylvania's Scott Perry for defying subpoenas. So there's a lot of people involved in this this whole mess. The other thing we learned this week, uh, we saw Trump's tax returns. And uh, not shockingly, he pays almost no taxes. He has little income. He has massive losses almost every year. He's taken fraudulent deductions, unsubstantiated deductions. He lied about being audited, and he's basically broke. But the biggest takeaway for me, the fun takeaway, was that we learned that he deducted $70,000 for uh, hairstyling, <laughs> money back. But his barber, okay, should be thrown in jail, okay? Uh, I mean, is this this is the crime of the century that he spent $70,000 to, to, to end up with an, a dead orange animal on his head. Anyway, so we got, a, we got a little clip here we want to play for you. Every year they audit me, audit me, audit me. I will absolutely give my return, but I'm being audited now for two or three years, so I can't do it until the audit is finished, obviously. You never give a tax return when you're being audited. You know I get audited every single year. But I can't release tax returns when there's an audit. Because it's under audit. I'll release them when the audit's completed. Nobody would release when it's under audit. I've had audits for 15 or 16 years. Every year I have a routine audit. Under audit, when the audit's complete, I'll release them. Almost every lawyer says, you don't release your returns until the audit's complete. When the audit's complete, I'll do it. Well, I'm not releasing the tax returns because, as you know, they're under audit. The president uh, is under audit. It's a routine one that continues. We're we're under the same audit that existed, and and so nothing has changed. As I've told you, they're under audit. They have been for a long time. They're extremely complex. People wouldn't understand them. We're under audit, uh, despite what uh, people said, and we're... uh, working that out as I'm always under audit, it seems, but I've been under audit for many years because the the numbers are big. And I guess when you have a name, you you're audited. But uh, until such time as I'm not under audit, I would not be inclined to do. Uh, I mean, if it wasn't so laughable, it would be absolutely utterly infuriating. And and I'm sure uh, I have no one in the MAGA cult listening to this podcast. But if you are, you're out there. This guy blatantly lied to you through his teeth for years. There were no audits. We saw that this week. We also learned through these tax returns that the IRS is pretty inept. They're supposed to audit every president every year. It happened to Obama. It happened to Bush. It happened to Clinton. Suddenly, when it came to Trump, no audits. Okay. And so, he, you know, we, we are now learning why he fought like an animal to keep these things private, because he's, he's just a broke-ass fraud. And he just has been lying and lying and lying. And so once we get through with Trump, we got to figure out what the hell happened at the IRS. I want to play another clip for you. I had tweets put out that were fantastic. I don't know if you saw that, but we had we had uh, on Twitter. I put out 
statements, and I put out other statements that were so beautiful, and nobody uses them. Nobody brings it up. That They were well read. I even did a documentary, more or less. I did a statement from the lawn on camera that was deleted, and it was a, you know, go home and go peacefully and do all of the things. You know that. It wasn't even talked about. Essentially, we have uh, all Democrats and Republicans in very poor standing, two of them. I mean, we, the yeah. whole thing. It's a yeah. kangaroo court. What can I say? It's a kangaroo court. Yeah, of course. So this is Trump whining like the little bitch he is, but he's in some deep shit. Real quick, a couple of things that happened this week. We had a $1.6 trillion spending bill that was passed. Uh, avoiding a government shutdown. Uh, I think that goes to the Senate today. But the, the the biggest thing in that has nothing to do with spending, and that's that they uh, reformed the Electoral Count Act. So what this is going to do is protect the future from a president saying, uh, my vice president can go into Congress and, and just throw out all the electors, not certify the election, and we can put our own electors in. So it's kind of like saying what shouldn't need to be said, saying what hasn't needed to be said for the you know 200 and some odd years of our history. But uh, codifying this is incredibly important. So that's the, you know, the, every year they go through this bullshit about the budget. And it's just gamesmanship or whatever. This year, there's something in there that's really, really important. Maddie, give us your update on your favorite subject, uh, Twitter and Elon Musk. But, Big but week for him. It looks like he's <laughs> threatening to um, to leave Twitter, which, of course, is not true because nobody would take his job because uh, they'd have to listen to him. And that would be unacceptable for any legitimate CEO. Uh, the other... but he basically said, if anyone who's like stupid enough to take the job, I'm, I'm going to be looking for you. <laughs> He's basically a double down on the crazy, as usual. So many things went on that they had to reverse. The other thing that we learned is that he is uh, blaming the Fed for the price of Tesla, claiming that the interest rate, rate hikes have, have done something to Tesla, which hasn't happened to any other car company, as you noted in a tweet. Uh, so. Yep. You know, basically, Tesla is tanking every single day. With each tweet, I think he decreases the value of Tesla. Yeah. And, you know, I say this all the time. Musk is Trump. Trump is Musk. They're the same guy, the same MO, the same bullshit excuses, the same ginormous insecurities. He could blame the government. He could blame whatever he wants on it. But it's it's because he's a freaking maniac who's not only destroying Twitter, he's, you know, possibly going to face some serious lawsuits from Tesla shareholders. I, I smell a, a huge class action suit coming. The other big news this week, Vladimir Zelensky, president of Ukraine, came to the United States, spoke before a joint session of Congress. And uh, also, shockingly, Marjorie Taylor Greene was not there. Uh, people like Matt Gates and uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, like when they were standing ovations, they were like checking their phones and twiddling their thumbs. I mean, this is just disgusting. Disgusting. As, as Zelensky said, the money we're giving Ukraine, it is a charity. It's an investment. And that these people don't understand the importance of funding and protecting and defending a major democratic ally in that part of the world that's fighting a war against Russia. It, that is treason, in my opinion. Yes. And according to The Hill, only 86 Republicans, less than half, showed up. That's disgusting. I, I mean, it's just like where we are today, that we can't even... As a, as a country, unite for Ukraine against Russia. Think about that likelihood happening 20, 25 years ago. All right, it's time to get to our interview that we taped earlier in the week with Cheryl Hines. Cheryl, of course, is an Emmy Award-nominated actress, director, and producer. 
And she's best known for her amazing role as Cheryl David on the Emmy Award-nominated and Golden Globe Award-winning series Curve Your Enthusiasm. She can currently be seen on season two of the critically acclaimed HBO Max series The Flight Attendant. And she starred in other series as well, the comedy series Suburgatory, the animated series Son of Zorn, and Three Below, Tales of Arcadia. She's been in, in starring roles in numerous feature films, including A Bad Mom's Christmas, RV, Wilson, and My Favorite Waitress. She's produced shows for major networks, including School Pride, Hollywood Residential, and the award-winning series Campus Ladies. And she's directed many TV series, as well as the feature film Serious Moonlight, which I produced uh, with Michael Roy, and which was written by my late wife, Adrienne Shelley, and starred Meg Ryan and Tim Hutton. Cheryl, welcome into the back room. Thank you, Andy. It's lovely to be here. How are you? <laughs> I'm uh, good. You know, it's the holiday season. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. Uh, you know, I kind of go in and out of the holiday season. Like the spirit. One day. Yeah. One day I'll be like, oh, my God, I've got to get everybody something. And then the next day I'll think nobody wants crap. <laughs> maybe but you should upgrade crap? from crap. Maybe it's the <laughs> maybe it's the stuff you're giving them that's that's causing that reaction. Well, yeah, I don't put a lot of thought. Into I mean, what's your budget? Like, are you going like five? To well, $10 that's also or? the problem. That's the problem. You're spending like a ton um, of money on crap. Yeah, because I get desperate at the end. I start out like in October, I think, you know what? I'm getting ahead of it this year. And then I don't I don't get ahead of it. I don't buy anything. And then, you know, December like 20th comes around and it's like, ah, oh, balls. I guess I'll go to CVS and <laughs> you can stop. You can get... stop right there. There's nothing at CVS anybody wants. <laughs> no, no, there isn't. Okay, when you see yourself <laughs> pulling into the parking lot, like you should probably just tr- no, no, turn around. I'm leaving. Um, this just is a mistake. Stop. Nobody needs a heating pad this year. Just go home. Well, yeah, a, a good don't. I mean, a, actually, a good heating pad is pretty. That's a, that's not yeah. a bad gift. I it around, is a bad gift. If somebody gives you like a beautiful cashmere sweater and you give them a heating pad, it's like, oh, oh, I didn't know we were going. Okay, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see, I didn't know we were doing that. Okay. What think about all the possibilities of offending people with with CVS gifts? Like for example, if you gave somebody like hair dye, oh like, yeah, like well, hair coloring, yeah, and they open it and they're like, but, oh, do you not like my like my roots? Sure. Well, no. By the way, uh, somebody very close to me just gave me um, a package of um, training sessions with a trainer, and I was like, <laughs> oh. Nice. Th- thank you. I mean, I do already work out, but I I hear you, <laughs> and I will go see your trainer. That's a bold gift. It's bold. It's be a confident bold. person to give somebody training sessions. Yeah. Hey, by the way, one year, like in my twenties, I was dating this guy, and it was Christmas, and he gave me like a whole case, like a whole box of. Those Andes mints, mm-hmm. the chocolate mints, that was my gift. <laughs> with, so with, I was, with one training session. It was a twofer. I was, I was very confused because I was like, I don't, know how, I don't know how to interpret this at all. Yeah. I don't get the whole mint with chocolate thing. Like, that seems a little counterproductive, actually. I, I mean, like that sort that's of like, where you draw the line. Yeah, well, like, well, like but you take a chocolate mint, then you kind of need like a mint to 
negate what you just it. had with the chocolate mint. So it seems a little duplic du du duplicative, if I can use that word. You can, and I'm glad you did. <laughs> so what what are your holiday plans? Like, are you traveling? Are you sticking around I'm, town? Uh, I go to Florida for a week to be with my family, and then I go to Aspen. Uh, this year I'm going to Aspen for a week, and mm -hmm. I'm bringing my whole, I'm bringing the Floridians. Oh, wow. They're really going to be slipping on some ice. Uh, they're not used to walking around. Do they even the have the clothes? Ice. Like, no, do they, they have don't. the equipment, the tools? No, the, they the don't. Gear? They don't. And I keep the telling psyche? them, please, you, no, I say you have to bring shoes with traction. I mean, these guys have flip flops and Crocs. You know what I mean? It's like none, those aren't going to work in the snow. Have they, so have they ever skied? Uh, some have. Yeah, I mean, and the first time we went skiing, we skied in our jeans. Uh, this was, you know, when I, when I was in my 20s. Yeah, it didn't go well. There's a reason people don't ski in their jeans, because when, you, when your jeans get wet because of the snow, it's not comfortable. No, and it, it doesn't look kind of cool either. Oh, we definitely did not look cool. We Not only did we ski in our jeans, but then we... My sister didn't have really a good hat, so she had a Kmart plastic bag that she tied around her head, and then she put like a knit cap on top just to hide it, and then when she wiped out at the bottom of the hill where everybody is, you know, hanging out, she just had the Kmart baggy wrapped around her head, and she's just sitting there in her jeans in the snow like, ah! So a, K no. a, a Kmart bag on her head and mom jeans. That sounds like <laughs> that's a that's a hot <laughs> look no matter where you are on the ski slopes that's or in the clubs. Like that's that's a good. Aspen is gonna love us. Is all I'm saying. And so how is your mom, Cracklin Rosie? How's Cracklin she Rosie, she's uh, she's doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. Her thing now is she's she's listen. She doesn't like for me to say how old she is, but she's like 82, and she likes to say um. Yeah, I just love the F word. And then everybody stops and looks at her and concerned. And she goes, fun. I like to have fun. I don't know what y'all were thinking of. And it's like, okay, and we're back. That's like when your friends go, shut the front door. And you're like, oh, God, thank God they didn't like just say what I thought they were going to say. Um, so, and now is, is Cracklin Rosie going to ski? Or is she just going to be hanging out in the no. lodge on fire? No, I decided uh, that it's better to leave her in Florida. Oh, she's she not even definitely. Uh -huh. No, she doesn't have. Mm -hmm. I'm really worried about her slipping in the snow and ice. She's not built for it. Right. You know what I mean? It's also a tough time for uh, seniors to be traveling with all the yes. illness flying around. Yes, yes. Yeah, a little scary. And the altitude. Mm-hmm. Always got the altitude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's so many reasons to just stay in Florida. When I ask you about your childhood, I did a little research on you. And oh, I saw no. that you were we you were actually born in a town called Frostproof. No, I wasn't born in I was born in Miami Beach, oh. but Frostproof, my dad was born in Frostproof. Yeah, and there's a little town in Florida called Frostproof, and it has a lot of orange groves, and it's called hmm? Frostproof because it never freezes. Oh, okay. Although it did one year and it made like 
national news. Maybe if they would have named um, themselves something different, it wouldn't have been so, you know, like, guess what? Yeah. Guess where it was frosty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, frostproof. I did spend a lot of time in frostproof. And, yeah. uh, and then you went to, uh, you were pretty much raised in Tallahassee, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The and capital of Florida. Is it really? I didn't yeah. know that. A lot of people don't. Yeah. A lot of people think it's Miami, but it's not. Well, there, I mean, there are those people. You ever have a friend who, like, knows every capital of every state, and you just want to smack yeah. them? Um, yeah. I, I, I'm not even sure I know the capital of my own. What's the capital of New York? Albany. Albany. Right, right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you learn something every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so when you first kind of started getting the bug, the acting improv bug, was that in Florida, like, towards the end of your residence there before you moved to California or were you doing a lot of stuff in Florida? Um, I knew, I mean, you know, since middle school, I had been doing plays and musicals and in high school, um, I took it very seriously. I mean, all of the plays I was in and Florida State University is in Tallahassee and I did a play. I did the children's hour with some of the students from Florida State who were so great. And um, so I, w- I was already serious. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then at some point, yes, I moved down to Orlando and I went to University of Central Florida. And that's when Universal Studios was opening. Mm-hmm. And you worked there? Too. I did. I worked there. Um, I had auditioned when when the whole, you know, the whole theme park opened. They had a casting call for actors. <laughs> and we had to line up. You know, we'd run a marathon and they pin a number to your chest. Like, there, there were over a thousand actors. And we all had numbers pinned to us. And it was like, okay, 976, step forward. <laughs> oh, hi. Um, so then we, they had us lined up at this, um, this big high school there in Orlando and we would go up on stage 10 by 10 and we would line up like a chorus line and then they would tell you to step forward and then they'd ask you a question. Like, I think mine was, what did you have for breakfast? (laughs) And at the time I thought, oh my God, I hope I have the right answer. And I don't know what they're looking for. Yeah, you know? wow. What, what are they looking for? Well, now that I'm very experienced and wise, I realize, you know, they could just cut, they cut people because you're standing on a big stage and some people just show up. They see an ad in the newspaper and they just show up and they, they've never been on stage. They've never acted. They just think it sounds great. And so you have people that would step forward and say my name is Sue Sally next (laughs) and they're like okay thank you 972 (laughs) you're excused 978 you can go so what did you were you like I had bacon and eggs and oatmeal and a big old glass of frost free orange juice 
Yes, it was something like that where, you know, I'm like, and I like the Pope. I don't care what <laughs> anyone says. <laughs> Am I right? You know, just and then so they cut people and kept cutting people. And then they and then at one point they finally had us read scenes and read a monologue. And then they let us go. And then they called us back for I might have been called back a few times. But anyway, then I finally got a role. Um, was it like a character? They, Were you like goofy or something or? Um, I wish they had a, um, they had a big soundstage that they dedicated to Alfred Hitchcock. And I don't know who thought of it. You know, the kid, the little kids love Hitchcock. The kids (laughs) love murder. And so they, they designed the Bates Motel and then they had this little, this little bathroom shower that would roll out into the middle of the soundstage and then they'd open it up. And inside there was a Janet Lee person, mm-hmm. me, um, who was wearing wow. a flesh colored, flesh colored bodysuit to make it look like I was naked. So you literally were in psycho. I was in psycho and I got uh, stabbed with a rubber knife like mm, 12 times a day. Jeez. In my little Janet Lee wig, and that was my. I was so happy. I had a. I was a professional actress. That's ultimately mm-hmm. horrifying and awesome at the same time. Yeah, it's a lot when you really look back at it. It's a good You're thing like, you didn't get what? typecast. <laughs> you know, I'm just like in horror movies from this day on. You know, you know in the a girl body. that gets killed in the shower. No, we don't. No, this is that's all people are going to. No, remember. that's. Yeah, it's the one thing she does. We don't need that in this one. And so when you were yeah. in Florida, besides Disney, did, did all like the typical actory crappy jobs happen there? Or was that until, was that like when you went to LA? Like waitress? I know I, ha- no, I had crappy jobs. I worked out on, on a, um, remember the 900 numbers when mm-hmm. people would... <laughs> uh, no, I have no... I don't remember those at all. <laughs> no, Especially not the sex ones. I don't, I've never even heard of the sex ones. Well, I worked on uh, a 900 number, and it was 1-900-999-CHAT, C-H-A-T. And so people could call in and they could chat with each other. It was the monitor. So I would see... I would, you know, look at a computer screen, and I'd see a new caller, and I'd say... Uh, hey, new caller, where are you from? And they'd say, oh, this is Eminem, and I'm from Detroit. I'd be like, hey, Eminem, welcome. And then everybody would start talking. And then if two people wanted to talk on a private line, my name was Cookie. <laughs> they would say, Cookie, can you beam me up? And that meant that I could talk to them privately. And they'd say, can you ask Eminem if, if she wants to go on a private line with me? And then I could connect them on a private chat line. But there was, there was no, they were not allowed to have, like, what's it called? Phone sex. So I would How say. How would you know if they were on a private well, line? Well, because you can keep, I could keep checking in on them <laughs> to make sure they were having, And of course, people were I'm always having envisioning. phone sex. <laughs> they were always having phone sex. And the other monitors, there were a few of us in the same room, and we would, 
uh, we would go, oh, I got one. And then we'd put them on speaker and we'd turn it up and then we'd all gather around. <laughs> what would you do? Like if you pick up, like if you piped into the call and you, like, you heard like, oh yeah, grab me by, like, like what would be happening? Well, right? Would you be like, hey guys, stop, stop, time out. Yes. <laughs> put your balls yes. back in oh, your pants. You yes, over it there. was like, you guys, Eminem, I told <laughs> you, you're not allowed to have phone sex. But one night we were listening and it always started out the same way. It was always... The guy would say to the girl, what are you wearing? And she'd say, nothing but high heels. It's always nothing. And, and then the girl would say, what do you do? And he was always a doctor or a, a lawyer. And uh, and then they'd, and then so we're listening. And then the girl says to the guy, how big are you? And he was like, what do you mean? <laughs> she's like, yeah. She's like, you know, how, how big are you? And he goes, oh, oh, about... <laughs> four inches and then one of the girls that was listening in she pipes in and she goes hello you're on the phone you can at least lie about it and then they were like what (laughs) who's listening anyway we entertained ourselves all night long oh my god i i I gotta say i'm 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 seeing a tv series yeah one nine hundred nine well you know what one night the person that did the joke line one nine hundred nine 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 joke didn't show up (laughs) So I had to do the joke line. And it's just a book of like bad jokes. And so people will call in and say, I don't understand what this what what this line is for. Because they would show an ad for it. And I'd say, Oh, what did the grape say when the elephant sat on it? They were like, Are you kidding? What? Uh nothing. It just let out a little wine. And they're like, That's not even a funny joke. I, what is this? <laughs> what? And they're paying three ninety nine a minute for that. Yeah, <laughs> that I'm just going through joke after humor. joke, and people are so angry at me. And they're like, "Are you just reading jokes from a book?" I was like, "Um, oh, why don't cannibals eat clowns?" And they're like, no, "Just stop." I go, "Listen, you're the one that called me," and I'm like, "Do you not want to know why cannibals don't eat clowns?" And they're like, "Why?" Because they taste funny. And they're like, "It's not. It's not funny." I'm like, you and by the way, how me? big are you? How so, big am I? That was one of that. <laughs> so that was one wow. of my d- dumb jobs. That's it. Yeah. But that's that's. I mean, usually you hear people like oh, I was pulling weeds out of a parking lot, or I was a waitress. Mm. But that's that's a that's great a good job. job. Yeah, and great, and, yeah. and you got great stories from that. <laughs> I mean, you could tell that story. Is that embellished to, to at my all, grandkids? That is that like authentic? Not all the way, or is it, it is one hundred percent authentic. I mean, you can imagine. Remember yeah, those nine hundred? I, I do. Sadly, I was one of the people. <laughs> I still call them Cheryl. <laughs> I'm a VIP, so I have like a lifetime life. membership. <laughs> I'm paying like nine hundred eighty-two dollars a minute right now. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's what was really sad. Is like people would they would run up their phone bills. It was kind of sad because clearly it seemed like these people had no life. They were lacking in social skills. Mm -hmm. So they, but on this chat line, they found each other and they, they, they brought their four inches and they were rolling with it. (laughs) (laughs) But they would run up these high, like $10,000 phone bills. Jesus. Imagine explaining that to your wife. Listen, I'm on a chat line. I get cut off if we try to have phone sex. Don't worry. 
And I spend a little bit of time on the joke line, but also worth it. Yeah, I'll keep it under 5,000 this time, honey. Um, <laughs> so, how long, so how long after you went to L.A. did you, quote unquote, like when did it, when did you make it? When did you realize like, all right, I'm onto something here. It's happening. And what was that job? Uh, well, I, you know. I moved to LA when I was 25. Mm -hmm. I got Curb Your Enthusiasm when I was 35. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I was, it was 10 years of uh, bartending, mm -hmm. waiting tables. Um, at some point, I started studying at the Groundlings Theater, mm -hmm. which, which was changed my life. And Lisa Kudrow was my first teacher. And um, I really loved it there. And from there, I started getting auditions for little things. Mm -hmm. Like, I think my first, one of my first jobs was on Suddenly Susan. Mm -hmm. I think I had one line, maybe two. I couldn't tell you what they were. Something like, yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm shivering right now just listening to you say that here. Um, and like, so, so oh you got God, a sense that it was starting to happen, right? Like you were getting... Well, I was at least... I imagine you could tell, right? Well, mm, well, yes. At some point, I started... I was auditioning for pilots. Mm -hmm. And so that's when you know you're at least in the running, which is amazing. And you had you an know. agent and a, and a manager at that time? No, I had it. I just had an agent. Mm -hmm. um, I had an agent. And but it was mostly because of being in the in the ground uh -huh. because people can see you perform and right. they they can come watch you and mm -hmm. see you know instead of somebody just calling and saying oh will you look at this person mm -hmm. um, but I I remember I auditioned for um, remember Brian Benben no Brian Benben <laughs> you just made that up didn't you that's not no. a real that's not no, a real I feel person, like I need to it? Google it no. <laughs> Brian Benben. Ben. Yeah, Brian Benben, right? Brian Benben. Um, he was doing a pilot and I went into audition and um yeah, Brian Benben. I'm looking him up. Yeah, he's real cute. And I went in and I remember the casting director saying, You didn't get the job and you need to be more confident. And I was like, Oh. Okay. That's like telling somebody, you need to be more blue. Like, you need to be more sunshiny or just something that's so, like, what? How is that? How is, <laughs> how am I supposed to do that? You know what I mean? I just remember getting that note and being like, oh, boy. I thought I was, I was doing my best. Yeah, you're doing improv. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. And Well, I was confidence. doing scripted. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, improv on the We're stage. We're just acting. And then I mean, it's it... not an easy thing to do if no. you're not confident, you know, just in theory. <laughs> I mean, auditioning is terrifying. Sure. You're in a room, a tiny room with people, and you're trying to memorize, trying to, you know, have your lines memorized, and you're meeting people for the first time, so you're trying to, like, stay in the moment and have a genuine mm -hmm. moment with them. And then that's also a weird turn to go from, hey, how's it going, to, man, lights up. <laughs> it's just weird. Everything about it's weird and hard. 
And so w- w- was it around this time that you went on the dating game? It was uh, before then that I went on the dating. I went on the dating game probably, probably pretty soon after I got to L.A. I don't know how I... You have to audition for. I, even, I mean, I guess you have to audition. I don't even for that, remember right? now. I don't even remember. I must have known somebody right. who knew somebody. Thank God I got that dating game. <laughs> did did you remember like, your date? How did the date go? No, I didn't get picked. Oh, you didn't get. Oh, you. Oh, right. So you were one of the one women, of the not the. Ah, uh, right, right, right. Yeah. And it was also oh. weird because it wasn't just a date, it was like a trip with this rando and it's like well i don't know that i need to go on a trip with a rando so it's that's okay. right they were all trips weren't they like i'm yeah. trying to remember that game it wasn't like just going out for dinner it was like yeah an all expense paid package to hawaii yeah I don't know you're like the hell um well, okay so luckily you so it all worked out and then you became oh. at some point you became rob reiner's assistant yeah so i was working i was working at the inner continental hotel down downtown LA and um there was a woman there who knew somebody who knew the Reiners and they needed a part-time assistant so I started doing that during the day and bartending at night and then at some point I crossed over to full-time assisting for the Reiners mm-hmm. and was that a yeah. like a, a, an amazing job I would imagine that would have been a really amazing job it them. was pretty amazing. It was oddly stressful. Mm-hmm. Like assistant assistant work is stressful. And you can't believe you're so stressed about little tiny things, but you are. Uh, but there were days where I remember the first time I had a drive on on Paramount to, to drop off something for Rob. And I was like, I had my red Toyota Tercel that I had driven here from Florida. And I remember driving up to the big gates of Paramount. And I was like, uh, said to the person, uh, I have a drive on. My name is Cheryl Hines. <laughs> and they're like, okay, Cheryl Hines, take it easy. <laughs> you and your Tercel. So I just remember just driving on the back lot like, whoa, I have made it. Well, in, you know, a sen- in a sense, you did, you know, I mean. It, yeah, I mean, not everybody gets to drive on the lot at Paramount. Right, in a Toyota Tercel. In a Toyota Tercel. And yeah. then I was, and then I was like setting up his trailer because mm-hmm. he was um, directing a film. And I just felt so in the know. I felt like, oh, my God. I mean, the next step for me is being in the film. But it's not really a logical next step if you're the one like getting the silverware for the trailer and the sheets, you know, it, the, it, you don't just go from that to be starring in a film. In a Rob Reiner film. <laughs> in a Rob Reiner <laughs> Where's film. Where's Cheryl? You know what? Cheryl, get out of the kitchen. Get out of the Tercel <laughs> and get in this movie. Cheryl, could you come in? <clears throat> but they were so nice to me. The writers were so, so, so nice to me. And they would come to see my shows at the Groundlings mm-hmm. and bring their friends. Was it, it was helpful? Really... I mean, in, in a professional way, ultimately, like, was there any value that way in advantage, benefit of working for Rob? And... Um, well, I mean, I wasn't on the set. You know, I was really running around getting lunch and stuff. 
But it was interesting to see, like, um, I remember seeing a copy of Misery, Mm. the book Misery, and where Rob had gone through and circled words and underlined things. And I just remember, like, reading it and just being fascinated by what he underlined and circled. And, of course, you know, he went, um, he, did he? Yeah, he and like he directed that, right? Am I crazy? I think he did. Yeah. Um, but so it were things like that that I thought were um you know, extraordinary. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he directed. Um so there were little bits and pieces that I would just try to grab onto and pay attention to. Um and I do think it was helpful. Also, seeing how people, how successful people lived, mm-hmm. but also had, you know, they still have the same challenges as everyone else. So it's like, oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I would know, I imagine it was eye-opening on a lot of levels. You know, p- people, you yeah. know, people who watch movies and TV and you know have favorite actors and directors and stuff. I guess they sort of project onto these people celebrities like who they think they are in real life and a lot of times it's just you know they got problems like everybody else and right live like everybody right. else and i would imagine from that right. perspective just sort of watching the the normal family reiner instead of yeah rob reiner actor director producer that that was right. probably a, a an eye-opening moment for you yeah because i remember one time he i needed to take him somewhere drop him off and i was like oh <laughs> I drive a Toyota Tercel that doesn't have air conditioning. And he's like, that's fine. It's like, Rob, I don't The Reiners don't need air conditioning. My... <laughs> I don't want to drive you. My... He's like, Cheryl, I don't. No, they called me Cece because there was another Cheryl. He was like, Cece, I don't care. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And I just thought, oh, my God, this guy is the best. Hmm. Oh, I just learned a lot now. And so, um, and then you started getting TV shows and doing movies and all that stuff. And uh, um, you got to work with people like Robin Williams, right? And RV, which is a really great, fun movie. Um, Yeah. I got to know you through Waitress and working with you on Sirius Moonlight. Um, And so um, I wanted to ask you, uh, because I'm sure most people want to ask this question, like um, the highlight of your career for you... Space chimps, right? Like that's <laughs> like you look back on that and you're like, that's that's my best work. Space chimps. <laughs> Listen, I love doing space chimps. If you don't know space chimps, it was an animated film. Oh, it's funny because I, I, uh, Andy Samberg is in it as well, and we were talking not that long ago, and he's like, yeah, I think they ran out of um, money halfway through animating it. <laughs> I was like, oh, that explains some things. <laughs> um, but yeah, Space Chimps didn't take off the way I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to mm. ask you a serious question now, and uh, okay. and I'll probably take Waitress out of it because I don't want to put you <clears> on the spot. But like when you when you do look back on your career so far, and you've you've done some really amazing stuff, um, uh, award winning performances on on of course Curb, and you've been in some really great movies. Um, <clears throat> what do you look back on and and uh, 
think of as like, I wouldn't say a favorite role, but just something that either ended up being way better than you thought it would and like it changed your whole perspective on it from, you know, uh, when you first did it um, or over time, is there something that sort of has become something you look at and really, really proud of? Um, I mean, it's hard to say just one mm -hmm. because I definitely feel like there have been career defining projects. Um, of course, Curb Your Enthusiasm is, it's in, it's crazy that we're still shooting. Um, it's like 20 <clears throat> years, 22 years or something. Yes. That's, mm -hmm, I yeah. saw that the other day and I couldn't believe that. It's crazy. It is. Um, and amazing. And who, who would have guessed it, you know? Because when I auditioned for Curb, it was just a one-hour special on HBO. It wasn't even meant to be a series. Mm -hmm. I was still working for the Reiners when I That's when I crazy. got Curb. It was really crazy because Rob came in and he's like, "Are you playing Larry David's <laughs> wife?" <laughs> Did you, and and are you quitting? <laughs> yeah, because they were they were friends, Larry and That's and uh, Rob. And I said, I am. And he said, why didn't you tell me you were even going in to audition? And I said, well, you know, I'm not going to tell you every audition I'm going in for. Because at that time, I'm, you know, going in for who knows what mm -hmm. every other day. <clears throat> um, but he thought that was so crazy. And then, you know, I took off like a week uh, to shoot that one hour special and then I started hearing rumors that it was going to be a TV show people at the groundlings were coming up to me saying wow that's going to be a TV show and I was like no, nobody's told me I haven't heard that um, and I was still working at the writers and I was at the groundlings and uh, I got a call from Larry David saying look this is going to be a TV show. Do you want to play my wife? Wow. And I said, and I said oh my God. No, I have to work the for the, the Reiners. There's <laughs> laundry to pick up, dry cleaning to pick up. Sorry, Larry. Find somebody else. I said, that is the best news I've ever heard. And he's like, I, I, I hope that's not true. <laughs> that, that, that can't be true. <laughs> and I'm like, it is. He's like, oh, don't say that. that. That can't be. Oh, God. And I was like, Larry. <laughs> and so it began. Um, that show is yeah, transcendent. It is. It is beyond. It's beyond. It is beyond. And I find the thing for me that I love so much about it is, um, as a Jew, mm -hmm. it's just it's it's loaded with Jews. But you played such a pivotal. You play such a pivotal role there in that. Uh, especially when you guys were married, the balance of the the non-Jew, because mm -hmm. you know when you kind of take the non-Jew out of it, and, and then it's it's a lot of crazy Jews. So <laughs> it, it's the balance is so perfect. Um, the casting was so perfect. Um, well, it's funny because when we started, um, we hadn't talked about if my character was Jewish or not, it just was not, you know, like I said, it was a one hour special. And then when it became a TV show, 
something there was something going on in the show and he and we were talking about it and he said something and I don't know if it was um Yiddish or something that I just was not familiar with and I was and I said so what exactly does that mean he's like oh my god he goes nobody's gonna believe you're Jewish I said oh I didn't know I didn't know that was part of it I mean I can do some research and he's like no maybe it's just better if you're not mm-hmm. I said well Way better it's better for me because I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to go study so actually, Yiddish <laughs> So then when, you know, so then there was a time when I was in Florida with my family Uh and somebody in my family had made a manger scene out of cookies with the toasted coconut for the hay. And um, they were walking around saying, nobody eat baby Jesus. And I called Larry and I said, can I just tell you what's going on in my house? And if you were here, you would eat baby Jesus and my family (laughs) would go crazy. And he's like, oh my God, we have to do that. And he goes, what else is going on down there? I said, well, there's also like live nativity scenes. And he said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, people stand on their front lawn dressed as Mary and Joseph and they have a baby. And he's like, that's not true. And I said, it is. That's (laughs) I'm looking at it right now. Mm -hmm. So he said, "Okay, we have to do a show about that. That was funny because then it just added another, you know, sort of layer. I think it it would have been a whole different vibe for you if you had to be Jewish because then you would have been. Uh, working for the Reiners, you would have been in the Groundlings, you would have been taping the show and going to Hebrew school, which would have, <laughs> I think, been a lot on your plate, Cheryl. I know you can handle a lot. I would have that, done it. I would have done it. You probably w- would have. You probably would have met, like been fluent in Yiddish. Yeah. <laughs> it's my goal. <laughs> Never too late, by the way. I think it's everyone's goal, actually. Yeah. Um, and, and so what, I know you've been asked a bazillion questions about Curb over the years. No, um, I can't get enough. What What do you think is the magic of that show? When you boil it just down to its core essence, because there is a magic to it. Yeah, I think it's. Um, of course, it's Larry, and it's Larry is neurotic. He's neurotic in real life, and I think a lot of people that are neurotic in real life don't can't um appreciate what's funny about it but mm-hmm. he understands it and is unapologetic about it and uh he in a lot of it a lot of it is based on real life so he can he's going through life like even when he's annoyed about something he thinks, oh, that would be a funny show because if I'm annoyed about it, odds are there are other people annoyed about it or people that are annoyed that that person's annoyed about it. (laughs) So he can, you know, listen, we have a lot on Curb. There are a lot of waiting room scenes. There are a lot of, Mm-hmm. driving scenes mm-hmm. there are a lot of they're just scenes where it's like yeah everybody does this and it it's annoying and i don't know why this person is doing this but you know on the show he can you know hey you can't you can't you can't um chat and 
cut or whatever you called it, you know. Right. You can't go up to somebody and start talking and then just stand in line with them. That's not how right. it works. What you want to say right. when somebody does that. But we can't. But you don't. Right. Yeah, don't. you don't. You just sit there and you just, you know, see. Right. But he on the show mm-hmm. can do it. And then it's funny. And everybody's like, yeah, that's what I want to say. Right. Well, he's cha- he's channeling. He's doing what we all want to do in certain situations. And, and I and I agree. That is part of that that magic is that he we get to live the life we want sometimes through yes. him. Uh, the, the cut and chat. I mean... Who hasn't yeah. been like, well, <laughs> it was two people in front of me. That is nine. Like, what? Ha- how does it? It's like, I see you. I know what you just did. You can't do that. But the magic but also is the, the, just the way, the phrasing, like chat and cut. And one of the yeah. things that I learned after watching Curb uh, after a while is that I then started, I started to see like Larry's influence on Seinfeld. Because like, if you just watch uh, yeah. Seinfeld, right? Yeah. And you don't really know Larry David. You see his name at the credits, right? Right. Right. Then you spend a few years watching Curb and you're like, oh. You see all of the characters in him. But just the, the phrase, master of my domain, yeah. like all of that, that like writing technique and phraseology and just the. Yeah. A lot of the, the essence of it is it's so easy to see Larry's yeah. imprint on that show, which I think yeah. is great because. I don't know if it ever, how much, if it ever, it ever bothered him, but like, you know, during the Seinfeld run, it's like Seinfeld, 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 maybe it was Seinfeld. Right. And Larry didn't really get a ton, maybe in the industry he did, but just on the street, right. in the, in the coffee rooms on Monday morning, you know, that kind of stuff. Like it's just, it's Seinfeld. And, right. uh, but now I think a lot of people see, see his, his imprint on, on that show. Um, yeah, but I think that genius of him and how he coined phrases and all that—it's just—it's um, really well, he's, an amazing show. He's like an icon now. He's iconic. Like during, uh, like for Halloween, people dress up like Larry David. There is a <laughs> there is a woman on Instagram who was just she was just showing she does a lot of fashion posts. You know, you should try this top with these pants. And she did a whole uh, thing about, um, like, Larry David-influenced mm-hmm. style. Like, blazers with a gray sweater underneath. And it was very cute. <laughs> but it's like everybody knows who she's talking about. So you're right. It went from, it's of course, Jerry Seinfeld being the famous, the kind of, the famous one between those two. But now it's... Which, by the way... Very different. It, it, hearing about them living with each other in the early Seinfeld days. It just really made me laugh when, when they were together, because when we were on Curb, we did a season where there was a Seinfeld reunion, which is pretty extraordinary when you look back at it. Mm-hmm. But Jerry and Larry would sit around and talk about when they were roommates in an apartment in, in Los Angeles, in West Hollywood, when they were shooting Seinfeld. And it just, I was just like, really? The two of you living together, I just can't even. One of my favorite things I've ever watched is the comedians in cars getting coffee with Larry. Oh, yeah. And, you you know, when they oh, went into the little coffee place and they're talking, you you literally can see and understand how they got together, how they worked together, why they were successful together. That magic that they created together, just in this one half hour episode of this kooky little show that Jerry does. 
Um, it's that, you know, it's like Lennon and McCartney and Paul Simon and, you know, uh, Garfunkel. It's like two people that get together and like, boom, just something. There's just something. Something they happens. Connect them. Um, yeah. I want to, before we uh, uh, end this uh, am- amazing conversation soon. Yeah. Uh, I want to touch on a couple of things that you're currently doing. Uh, okay. One is your podcast. I love your podcast. I've told you that, that I run to your <laughs> podcast. Uh, most of the yes. time I'm running and laughing because it's so funny and um, uh, uh, people yes. see me down so the street and a... I'm, I'm laughing and then like I told you a couple of weeks ago you had a more serious I think it was Till maybe and you talked about an open casket and like it just triggered me with Adrian and, I was like, and now I'm running down the street crying and people think I'm crazy <laughs> thankfully not the same people they're not like wait was that the guy who was laughing wasn't he just jogging yesterday maybe he should find Ah. a different sport but uh it's about documentaries and you guys just sit and riff about documentaries but the genius of that podcast is that you hardly ever actually talk about the documentaries (laughs) (laughs) so just the two of you uh yeah so tig notaro and i Mm -hmm. yeah we have a podcast called tig and cheryl true story Mm -hmm. and and we do (laughs) We watch a podcast every week, and then we talk about it. But yeah, you're right. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes we don't make it to the Well, she, Tig plays the straight person, and she's like, uh, no pun intended. And um, <laughs> she's like, I guess we should get to the film, Cheryl. Like, she's always trying to bring it back. And then you play that role, because sometimes she'll go off on a tangent, and you're like, we right. really should talk about this. And it's just the two yeah. of you talking about how you're not talking about the actual subject matter. And that is, yes. I find it hilarious. Um, yeah. You have fun with that? Yeah. It seems like you guys are having a lot of fun. Oh, my that. God. We have so much fun. I mean, sometimes my face hurts. After Cheryl, does we your face do a hurt? recording. <laughs> Remember that old joke? It is. Does your face hurt? It is. No, it's killing me. It's, it's killing me. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, we really, and then sometimes you're right. What, I mean, listen, yes. When we go off on tangent, a lot of times they're loosely related mm-hmm. to the <laughs> podcast. Like one time we did, there was a Sasquatch. And then we really started to think about Oh, then how, if there really is a Sasquatch, how did that happen? Was it uh, like a a bear and a lady had some... It's <laughs> a crime, really... you know. <laughs> that was outlawed that turned... a long time ago. That turned... And then, you know, when we did March of the Penguins, that, the idea of a, uh, what a penguin penis looks like came up because... We just didn't, wasn't making sense. Like, how do they even do it if they're both standing there? And then what does that penis look like? And then we found what, out, what, and then we were trying to... What does it look like? Yeah. Well, we were, we our <clears throat> producer started looking it up online, and he said, penguins don't have penises, which, of course, made us laugh even more. That begs, so, another, that begs another question. <laughs> it does. So there are things like that that we, you know seem to get stuck on well this is important uh, stuff the, the question of how does mrs penguin get pregnant if mr penguin doesn't have a penguin penis right a right penguis. but all the answers a are a penguin yeah and we were angry that penguins don't have pouches for their little eggs that they have to keep them on their feet that seems unfair because other 
animals have pouches to, you know, give the penguins a pouch. That's where that came from. Do you have to get them like a, what's that thing that people strap around their A baby Bjorn? Yeah, or like a... A booty bag? Yeah, like a a belly bag. Yeah, a bag. (laughs) If you ever see a penguin with that, then that's a problem. And then this, this, uh, you, you have an episode of... Uh, celebrity IOU. IOU. With yeah. uh, Sarita, who I, of course, know very well, uh, where you're, you and the, the, the brothers are... Property uh, brothers. Property brothers yeah. are redoing her, her garage for her. Right. So the idea of the show is that, you know, they came to me and said, is is there someone in from your life that you would like to do something for them because they gave you so much? And I said, yes. Sarita who started out as my personal assistant. And then when I got pregnant with Kat, I said, uh, do you just want to be the nanny? Cause, and she said, I don't know anything about babies. And I said, neither do I, it doesn't matter. And so she just helped me with Kat, with assistant stuff. She did everything. And so I said, can, can I do something for Sarita? And um, and then we got to go to her house and make over her garage into this really beautiful. That's awesome. And I just yeah, realized I've was... been mispronouncing her name for the last no. sixteen years. No, we we all did. Oh no, she because it was Sarita, right? It was Sarita, and then like twelve years later, she's like, it actually should be pronounced Sarita. Oh, like, oh. Wow. And she goes, yeah, I didn't. She said she she didn't even know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well we'll switch it up. Well, I was Andy um, for the first. Uh, yeah. <laughs> then I became Andy at a certain time. Uh, well, I've seen the trailer, and I got to say, this is among your hands down your some finest of my best work. Some of your best Thank work. You. I want to ask you about the the process that like preparation. Mm-hmm. Was it method or more like mm-hmm. Meisner? Like, how did you get into this role, Cheryl? I wore a a uh, goggles onesie <laughs> goggles. They never call it a onesie. What do they call it? What do mechanics wear? Like Overalls. A, like a jumper. Yeah, like, like a, a suit. Oh, yeah, right, right. But I saw the trailer where you were like knocking something, and then like this plume of smoke, like just of dust and by, stuff, kept flying in your face. By the way, it was rat poop that went flying into my face. That was rat poop. And it went up, yeah, into my ears, where, down where, my jumpsuit. From, from inside the wall? Yeah, there oh. was like a, there was like a something, uh, you know, yeah, inside that clearly some sort of critters had been. That's horrifying. Um, well, yeah. Did the brothers yeah, spray and hose you down after that? or like, No, oh. they just laughed and they were like, good luck. Like, you guys. They were really fun, though. That Jonathan and Drew, they were really, really fun. And did you learn? Did you really walk fun. away thinking like, "All right, I can, I can cheat rock a room now"? Like, are you going to redo your own house now? Like, <laughs> I can cheat rock. Can you I build a deck? Can you build like, me a deck. I could. Um, I could use. I know how to use a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an important skill to know. That must come in handy, I would imagine. Yeah. One of these days. I think just learning how to stay away from rat poop is probably the biggest takeaway. I'm telling you, that was disgusting. That is one reason why I I don't want to like knock out any walls 
by the way, I'm learning that there are lots of things in walls. There are bugs and things living. But anyway. So my last question for you. Well, I have two questions. I want to I want to get a window into your soul. And uh-huh. uh, one way we do that is to ask a couple of questions. The first one being, are you, and I think I kind of know the answer to this, but everybody else doesn't. But are you a dog or a cat person? I am a dog person. Mm-hmm. I remember I Buddy well. Uh, Buddy's new... still alive, Buddy, by the way. <laughs> Buddy's still around. Get out. Buddy, Buddy is still is around? Tiny... That's nuts. Yeah. I've slept with Buddy. I know. I've slept Who with hasn't? <laughs> <laughs> that little slut. Betcha he's packing four Buddy. inches. Oh, comedy he's callback. Um, Buddy is, I don't think he can see very well or hear very well, but he's still around. How old is he's he? Tiny. He's it's probably. Be 19, 18? Well, he's probably 13 or 14. That can't be. Oh, maybe. Well, oh. You, you would know more about If your you. But I. Uh, well, no, maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe he's more like... I've slept yeah, with Buddy like 15 years ago. <laughs> that really Buddy's sticks older in than your memory. You, than you. It was memorable. <laughs> Buddy's been lying to I've me slept for so many, many dogs, years about his age. But, but, you know, Buddy was always <laughs> my favorite. He's very cute. He's very sweet. He's a tiny... What kind of dog is he? Tiny little... Yorkie, right? Yeah, Yorkie. So you have Buddy and, and I have, a big one. Well, now I have three giant freaking dogs jesus gordon setters and a short-haired something hunter Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i don't know what they are and you've never had cats like you're just not a cat person i mean cats are fine Mm -hmm. i don't have cats i don't like kitty litter and i don't like hair cat hair on me when i walk out Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm So you don't like rat poop. You don't like kitty litter. I see where this is. There's a theme there. I don't like dog poop either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the second question we ask is, uh, what better way to tell a person's, uh, to get a window into the, that person's soul uh, than music, right? Mm. So yeah. I want to know your top five musical artists of all time. All time. Ooh, of all time. Of yeah. all time. Okay. Well, let's see. I would say uh, all time. I would say, you know, of course, Aretha Franklin is mm-hmm. like nobody's better. Um, I love the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. This make, th- These all make me sound like I'm 100 years old. <laughs> I am really loving uh, Brandy Carlisle. Oh, love Brandy uh, Carlisle. God dang Best. it. She's so good. Best. I cry. And I love, oh my God. And I love um, Dwight Yoakam. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're a little bit country. More? Little... I, I am a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. And I love, what else do I love? I don't know. I mean, it's hard because, you know, when you think of music, it's hard not to think of when you were sort of growing up and mm-hmm. becoming who you are. And that really had an influence, like back in the day, loved Prince, like mm-hmm. loved Prince. Mm-hmm. But do I sit around today, like wake up and listen to Prince? Not really, but uh, but I do I do love, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love Gladys Knight. Okay, then I'll leave it at that. 
I think that's five. Is that five? Six. That is that's six. That's six. Wow. You know what the uh, interesting thing is that one. we've we, in all the times we've asked that question, I think we got hmm. the Beatles once, which is really? heartbreaking for me because like to me there's the Beatles and then there's everyone else. But it's just interesting because some of the answers are so eclectic and. I've been turned on to people that I've never heard before, and I go home and I listen to stuff online, and so it's a it's a really uh, fascinating process for me to go through. But just hearing the different types of answers and the Beatles, who you, at least I thought would be in everyone's top five, they're often typically not, which is fascinating. I've never really been a big Beatles um, hmm. person, but also I don't know. It just like to. I mean, and listen, are people either a Beatles person or, or a Rolling Stones. Stones person? Right. Well, you've made it clear which side you're on. I'm I mean, on, you know, they're both this amazing. Girl likes to rock. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Beatles are, you know, they're like, bing, 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 <laughs> and the Rolling Stones seem to be so soulful. They're like, bing, the bing, the bing, bing, bing. <laughs> Keith, Keith Richards you... is like. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Cheryl, you have been amazing as always. You are uh, you were very generous with your time. It was great uh, to catch up this way as well. Yes. Uh, we I are know. long face overdue. Uh, now that we are uh, disembarking from COVID, uh, we we have to do this Knocking in person sometime. But thanks again for coming on. Say hi for me. Thank to all you. your many peeps, and uh, I will. And say hi to Sophie Dopey. I will. Take care. Okay. All, all right. right. I'll see you later. Bye. So there you have it, episode 30 in the can. We'd love to hear your thoughts, so leave us a message at 845-307-7446. Email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And please leave a review if you like what you hear. Those things are important. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langale for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio. And a big thank you again to our guest, the amazing Cheryl Hines. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. Have a great holiday, whatever you're celebrating. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week. <laughs>